0: Well, hey, what's up? My name is Doug, and I. Uh, this is kind of what I do. I travel and speak. I'm in uh, different places almost every weekend. I don't do a ton of youth speaking anymore, but uh, you guys are actually coming uh, to Jamaica with me. I, I head up a ministry called Partnership Ministries, and the international side of it, the mission side of it, it's called Partnership International. And you are uh, your group, and, and I would love to see some more people sign up even tonight. Uh, I want to introduce. You to a place called New Vision Orphanage in uh, Christiana, Jamaica. It's in the Manchester Parish. It's right in the middle, kind of in the mountainous part of Jamaica. And how many of you know Jesus loves everybody? Amen. And He wants everybody to come to know Him. And so I've got about 35 uh, children that I'm really good friends with at that orphanage, and our ministry sponsors it. And we uh, we want you to come experience it. Uh, let, let me just let me just go ahead and do some recruiting right now before I preach. Uh, uh, who Who would come if we paid your way to go on the trip? Is there anybody that would say, like, I'm not coming yet. But if you pay my way to go on the trip, you don't even know me. So you don't know if I'm serious or not. So you better respond here. Uh, Who would come if we like paid your way? I mean, plane ticket, everything to go on the trip. All right. See, I just recruited some more people. Here's the cool thing about missions. If God calls you, then he provides for you. Right. And so I would encourage you. I know Jeremy's been promoting the trip. And if uh, if you're feeling at all, you know, like, hey, man, may I, I, I think I'd like to do something like that. Can I tell you, I've led over 100 mission trips. And so I've been all over the world doing this, and I have seen if you go on a missions trip, when you make it not about you, but you make it about other people, your faith goes to a whole nother level, right? And, uh, we saw over a hundred students in our youth ministry days go into the ministry. I bet 90 of them were called into the ministry on those missions trips and a whole bunch more, uh, just found their direction in life and find out what they were called to do. So come join us, man, have some fun. We'll go to the beach. Who doesn't want to go to a beach in Jamaica, right? And, and uh, so, so come and come and hang out with us this summer. You're one of 10 teams that we're leading to this summer. And so we're excited about you coming. Well, uh I want to talk to you tonight around the idea of acceptance. I'm going to am t- going to share a message with you and I don't have a ton of time. So I'm going to share a message with you called The Power of Acceptance. I know you guys are doing something about living free right now. Can I tell you one of the responsibilities that you have of, of when you're when you're when you're free in Christ is to give that freedom away to other people. If you study uh jailbreaks, you'll find out that very few of them ever happened in the history of jailbreaks without help from from the outside, I mean, you know, when you are free, you have the keys to give to somebody else to be free, right? And so you need to so say, if you've been busted out of prison, you need to bust somebody else out of prison, right? And, and so I'm going to talk to you about that tonight. Well, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And uh, then I, I traveled and I spoke in youth camps and things like that for, uh, for about 13 years. And Jeremy knew me during that time. We actually pastored in there somewhere, never stopped traveling. Now I'm back on the road full time. But, um, uh, during my youth ministry days, we had, we had four youth groups. Uh, uh, we didn't have the longevity that you have, so we moved around a little bit. But we saw four youth groups go from 15 or 20 kind of inward kids, you know, uh, very, very clicky type groups to, to every single one of them went to over 100 students. Uh, our youth, group, youth ministry in Montana, which was probably our best spot, uh, we started out with about fifteen. Uh, we grew that down to about ten after like two weeks because they sort of hated us and then we went from ten to two hundred in a year and It was in a church of about four hundred people and God just really blessed it and What I saw in every single one of those groups was whenever everybody was kind of inward and, and, and they had their own clicks and they sort of are their own friendships, the group wouldn 't grow. But as soon as they started getting outside of themselves wouldn 't you like to be a part of something to this Day, I get emails from that youth group of kids saying that was some of the best years of my life because they were a part of a movement. In fact, I want to tell you a story. In fact, I'm going to tell you two stories from that group. And I'll just kind of kick into this and then eventually we're going to get to Luke 19 and talk about Zacchaeus. Uh, During that time when the youth group was just really, really exploding, we were seeing 15 or 20 kids a week come to Christ and God was just really doing great things. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but there was a young girl that started coming to our youth group. Her name was Mickey and she was from a really rough background. She kind of dressed in like, I don't know if they even do this anymore, but it was sort of like a goth, you know, style dress that she had. And she started coming to our group and I really didn't even know, but she got saved in one of those nights. And it was probably about three months in that I finally met. Better. We had hosted a big uh, youth retreat and invited a whole bunch of other youth groups to come. And Mickey came to that, and maybe about 50 of my kids were there. And, and there was a couple hundred from other youth groups. And, and finally, it was Saturday morning. We had a chance to kind of break away with our own kids. And so we had this upper room area. And I pulled my 50 up there, and I had about 15 youth sponsors. And we all got in there. And I just, I didn't really have a plan. I just kind of had a microphone, and I was going to let everybody share what God was doing in their lives. And Mickey came up to me just before we started. I just met her that weekend, even though she'd been coming for like three months. And, uh, and she said, hey, Pastor Doug, I'd like to be the first one to share. And I said, well, sure. And so I just kind of walked up and said, hey, Mickey's going to get us started. And I handed her the mic. I didn't know her. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I handed her the microphone. And, and have you ever had somebody talk to a room and they just jack up the room? You know what I'm saying? Mickey kind of walked up and she introduced herself and she, she began to tell us her story. She she told us that she came to the youth group about three months ago, and she heard me preach about the love of God, and and she, she had never heard anything like that before, so she responded to the invitation. She get, she had, Christ came in her heart. She said, man, I felt so much joy, and, and, and so I went home that night, and, and, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I've gotten drunk, I've had sex, I've done drugs, you know, I, and now, you know, I've done Jesus, you know, and and, and so, so she thought, you know, this is a cool experience, but tomorrow morning, it'll be gone. On just like all the other experiences, but she woke up the next morning. And how many, of you know, when you get God in your heart, he doesn't leave. Amen. So she woke up the next morning and she's like the joy, the peace, it's still there. So she told us that that night, she said, she said, I decided to join your club. Her words, not mine. And I'm like, I don't know where a club, but thank you for joining. And, and, uh, and, and, and then she said, I was, I thought to myself, You know, what's going to happen is I'll start coming, but pretty soon I'll find out that these people are like everybody else said, you know, they're just, you know, I don't, I don't look like everybody else. They're not going to love me. They're not going to accept me. I'm kind of used to that. So she prepared herself for disappointment, but over the course of three months, and again, I didn't even know her name, so I had nothing to do with it. It was my students loving on her. She said over the course of three months, she said, you loved on me. And it, it just in ways I've never experienced before. And she said, so I've decided this morning to tell all of you something I've never told anybody. I almost got the mic from her when she said that. But she said to me, she said, well, and she began to share. And she said, when she was growing up, she had a stepmom that was incredibly verbally abusive to her. And one day, I don't know what happened, but she said she'd kind of had enough and she grabbed me by my hair. I was nine years old. She said she dragged me into a bathroom and she threw me down on the floor and she began to tell me how worthless I was. And then she said she slammed the door and I was just kind of laying there crying. And she walked back in the room and I have Mickey, actually Mickey's permission to share this story. And she said she had a revolver in her hand. And she was just kind of spinning the chamber of the revolver. And then she she walked over, she cocked it, and she put it up against my head. And she said, I closed my eyes. I thought I was going to die. And she said she pulled the trigger and the gun didn't go off. It just clicked. And she threw it at my feet and she said, Mickey, the only reason why I didn't kill you today is because I've been looking for these bullets all week and I can't seem to find them. And she walked out. And Mickey looked at our group and, you know, it was kind of like, you know, quiet like this. And, and she said, uh... She said that day I stopped living until three months ago when I walked into your youth ministry and I heard about the love of God and I met all of you and then, The whole room just started crying, and it was kind of messed up. Bible college did not prepare me for that moment. I'm like, what is going on? And and I didn't really know what to say. You know, she was crying. We were crying. and, And finally, one of my youth leaders, her name was Wendy Sebastian. She was sitting in the back, and she screamed out, and she said, Mickey, the reason why there were no bullets in that gun that day is because God has an amazing plan for your life, and he wants you to be alive to live it. Amen? she stayed in our youth ministry for several years, brought all kinds of people to it. And God just began to use her. And it was just one more story about the power of acceptance. I think when I started really discovering this, this thing, I called the power of my mom. Sorry. This thing I call the power of acceptance. I almost joked on, uh, 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 was, was in my very first youth ministry. I was about 21 years old. And, uh, I planned my very first youth activity. It was actually, it was really creative. It was mini golf. We were all going to go mini golfing together. And I, I'm really dating myself right now. But, but uh, you know, we didn't have the promotion you guys have. So, like, I literally drew up a flyer with a pencil. And it had, like, little stick characters and golfers on it and stuff. And I, and I made up, like, a 1,000 of them. And I gave it out to every kid I could possibly find for several months. And then, then I rented two buses, man. And all the kids, we were going to play mini golf. I was going to preach, and about 500 kids were going to get saved. It was just going to be amazing. And so, got to that night, had my buses and everything. And, and literally nobody showed up. Literally nobody. I mean, it was like 7.05, I'm like trying to lead the bus drivers to Christ. It ain't happening, you know. They finally leave. And right about then, they, I don't know if you guys remember, you probably don't, but but there was these uh, cars called gremlins. And one of these things, it pulls into our parking lot. And, 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 and the, the nerdiest kid I have ever seen in my life, Gets out of this car, you know, and he's just messed up, his hair's everywhere, he's just this dorky kid. And, and the mom kind of looks at me, and I think she had planned on like having a night off, you know, or something like that. And so she looks at me, looks around, realizes nobody's there, and she peels out of the parking lot. And so I'm standing there with this kid. His name is Tommy. And I'm like, hey, Tommy, man, I don't think anybody's coming. You know, your mom just left. Let me take you home. And God spoke to my heart and said, hey, I'm 21-year-old youth pastor. God spoke to my heart and said, hey, this kid, you promised him mini golf by way of your flyer. And so I said to Tommy, I said, dude, why? you know, I'm not doing anything either. Why don't you just get in my car? Let's go mini golfing. I put him in my car and we went to the mini golf place and I got the putter out of my bag I'm a little competitive and and, uh, <laughs> and and so I beat him like I I mean I like prison beat him I mean I I beat him down they always learn more if they lose and and uh <laughs> A cheat if you have to, but, but, uh, but anyway, I beat him like five times at mini golf, and, and then I put him in my car, and I took him back home, and, and I dropped him off, and he just kind of, you know, bye, you know, kind of thing. And, and, and Tommy Clark never missed another thing I planned for the next four years. It didn't matter if we were cleaning up the parking lot. He was there. When his brother drowned because he was drunk and ran his car into a river, and I did his funeral, Tommy was right there with me. And in fact, I, I left that church and I went on to other places. And it was about 10 years later, I got a phone call. Google is scary, man. You can find anybody. And Tommy called me up. I, just my phone rings. I don't know who it is. And I answer it. And he said, hey, is this Doug Reed? I said, yeah. He said, this is Tommy Clark. And he said, I just want you to know I'm graduating from college. And I just didn't know who else to call. So I remembered you. And, and, and I began to kind of grip this whole thing called the power of acceptance. You know, you have incredible power. In fact, the Bible tells us that we ought to always be widening our scope of influence. I like Isaiah 54 verse 2. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. In other words, God is always saying, expand the territory of your life. Don't be closed off. Don't just have little clicky kind of friendships, but always be opening up your social space. Always be opening up your life and accepting other people. And in fact, the power of acceptance is so powerful. Kids will join gangs just to be accepted. A girl will have sex for the first time just because she wants love and acceptance. You'll laugh at jokes you don't even think are funny because you want to be accepted. You'll wear some stupid piece of clothing that you know isn't cool, but you want to be accepted, right? The power of acceptance is an incredible thing. And you're in a great position today. Most of you, I know some of you are Knew, but most of you, you know God, you know His love, right? You've experienced His grace in your life. You've got more to give than most other people do. And so you have and you possess the power of acceptance. There's actually an incredible story in the Bible where we see this on display the story of Zacchaeus. It's found in Luke chapter 19. I just want to read it to you quickly. And it says this It says, Jesus entered Jericho and He made His way through the town. So Jesus is traveling around, He goes through this town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector of that region, and he had become very rich. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed into a sycamore tree uh, beside the road for Jesus to pass by. And when Jesus came by, he looked up and he said, "Zacchaeus." He called him by name, Zacchaeus. He said, "Quick, come down. I must be at your. I must be a guest at your home today, Zacchaeus." climbed down and took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. And look at this. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, man. If you're going to be a sinner, be a notorious sinner, man. This guy was a professional sinner, man. In fact, the tax collectors of their day, they were kind of like little mobsters, really. They would go around and for the Roman government, they would beat people up and collect taxes for a government that wasn't even their own. He was a notorious sinner center. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of any taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to your home today for this man showed himself to be a true son of Abraham that made all the religious people mad. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, I just very quickly want to share with you. I think there are three ways from our text that you can become a person that practices the power of acceptance. And the first one is this. The first one is you have to deal with individuals. How many of you know that God is not going to send the entire world to your youth group at one time? But God is going to send them to you one person at a time. God will not send the lost all at once. He sends them one at a time. And and in this story, we see that Jesus, he holds off the whole world for one person. This wasn't the, the, the Christ that's being mocked by the crowds. This wasn't the Christ that was about to be crucified. At this time, Jesus was known as a famous teacher. He was known as somebody that had the power of God to heal people. Everybody wanted to have a meeting with Jesus. Rich people thought they could buy it. Religious people thought they deserved it. Politicians, man, they were trying to get a meeting with Jesus, but a short tax collector named Zacchaeus, a guy who was widely thought of as a thief, he's the one that gets the meeting. How do you practice the power of acceptance? You do it one-on-one. It's that lonely kid in your lunchroom, man, that nobody else sits with. Some of you guys, you've been trying for years to win somebody to Christ. I guarantee you find the one kid in your school that everybody else rejects and you accept them and they'll come to Christ quicker than you can even begin to imagine. The power of acceptance is a really powerful tool. Most of my youth groups that exploded, I can tell you they looked like revenge of the nerds at first because we reached the people that nobody else wanted. The first tool that I had in my bag was to train the kids to love on the people that everybody else was rejecting. And then, how many of you know, God loves to bring the unlikely in and start a party that everybody wants to be a part of, right? That's what God wants to do through you. He wants you to practice the power of acceptance. And how do you do it? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in in Proverbs chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 11, verse 30. It says, he that winneth souls is wise. Now now listen to this. I am the first Christian in my family. Uh, at one point, I was the first one to ever graduate from college. I, I, nobody in my family had ever flown on a plane, and I've been all over the world. God saved me, but then he began to save my family. Now, now, listen, I remember my dad was a tough case, and I've got all kinds of stories I tell about my dad. But when I was trying to win my dad to Christ, I didn't know how to get him to come to church. I mean, you know, I mean, it's tough, man. You know, how do you, how, do you t- how do you sort of turn that paradigm upside down, and you become the influencer instead of your own dad? And I can remember my sister, who wasn't a Christian either, she had a very late-term miscarriage. The baby died, and it was a tragedy, and... And and my family came to me and they said, my mom had already come to Christ, but my family came to me and said, Doug, you're the only one that really goes to church. So would your pastor do a funeral for this baby? And I said, of course. And I, and I went to my pastor and I told him I was only like 17 or something. And I, I told my pastor, I said, man, my family's coming. He's like, I know, man, they're going to get saved. I'm going to preach. I said, that's great, man. But I said, my dad's coming. And he said, I know, man, I'm praying that your dad gets saved. I said, pastor, you don't understand my dad. He doesn't like preachers, man. He's going to hate you. And I said, but you know what my dad loves? He loves fishing. I mean, my dad, man, he, he'd go fishing 24-7 if he could. So, Pastor, I don't know how you're going to work this in, but you've got to talk to my dad about fishing. If you talk to my dad about fishing, he might like you. And, 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 and my pastor goes, Pastor Doug, he said, he said, man, I've only been fishing once, and I hated it, and I don't know what to say. I said, man, you better watch some Bill Dance, some Rowan Martin, something, man. You got to figure it out, right? Go to Bass Pro, figure it out, you know. And, and I can still remember, man, my dad coming to that funeral, and he's all awkward and stuff. And, and and my pastor walks up, and he's like, "Hey, Charlie, how you doing?" And and he's sorry, you know, sorry for your loss. And and then he kind of looks at me, and he looks at the ground, and he looks up, and he goes, uh, "Charlie, you been fishing lately?" And My dad said, uh, "Yeah, man, I went just yesterday." And Pastor goes, you use like, you know, like line for that? He's like, yeah, all my rods have line on them. <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes, you got like lures or something? He goes, yeah, that's what I use is lures. And, and, and it was just the dumbest conversation ever. But I still remember he walked away and, and my dad leaned over to me. He goes, I kind of like that guy. And I was like, yeah, he's awesome. You should hear him preach. And, and it was about a year later that my dad, in front of 800 people, walked down by himself at the end of one of those pastor sermons. And gave his life to Christ. He that when souls is wise, right? So what if you practice some wisdom and actually started to practice the power of acceptance? Man, I think God could use you in a big way. The second thing you got to do is you got to drop your assumptions. You know, the funny thing about Zacchaeus is that everybody thought that he was a thief. And, and in fact, I've even heard preachers sure just automatically say Zacchaeus was a thief that came to Christ. But but actually, I, I sort of dispute that because in verse eight, as soon as they called him a thief, Zacchaeus said, "Hey, look, Lord, if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times that amount." Uh, it, I, it sounds more like he's defending it and saying, "If you can prove that I've stolen from you, then I'll pay back four times that amount." But but the point of the text is not whether or not Zacchaeus was a thief. The point of the is that Jesus accepted Zacchaeus without assumptions. Everybody else was saying we can't hang out with this guy because he's a bad guy. Jesus said, I'm going to hang out with him because he's a bad guy. How many, you know, sinners are the ones that need Jesus, right? And you can't expect somebody to change that personality of that kid in your school that you hate. Can I tell you that flows out of their insecurity? But our God says perfect love can cast out all fear, right? You don't know what they could be like when they came to Jesus. You got to look past all that. Uh, one of my favorite quotes says it like this. We see the fish splashing in the stream, but we fail to see the hook in his jaw. In other words, we see all this crazy way that people act on the outside, but we don't see the pain that's in their life that's making them act that way. And that's why we've got to practice the power of acceptance. I, I, you know, you know th- what we're really talking about tonight, and let's just get down to it, and this is where our culture is at today. What we're really talking about tonight, and as much as your generation, you know, touts that, man, we are accepting everybody and everything, prejudice is alive and well in our culture today in a big-time way. And I'm not just talking about the way, the the color of a person's skin or whatever. I'm talking about prejudice against people that just aren't quite like us. I, I remember one day when I was youth pastoring, and it was, again, one of these youth groups that God was just doing great things with. I had a youth leader. His name was Jerry. And Jerry wanted to go out to eat, and so I'm a big spender. I took Jerry to McDonald's, and uh, I was like, man, you're a super size? pick a number, you know, whatever's on me. And uh, anyway, we walked into McDonald's, and... And as I was walking in, right in the very back booth, there was this kid. He looked like he was about maybe 17. And he's sitting back there. Let me just describe him. He had long, flowing black hair. It came down to, like, his belly. And then he had this long, pointy black beard. Had all these weird piercings. He had on about five layers of black clothing. And the top one was kind of this silky, long robe that almost dragged the floor. He basically looked like the devil, is what he looked like. And so I kind of walked in. And I didn't even know this was happening. Happening in my head, but in my head is going off. Stay away from the weird devil worshiper in the back booth, right? And, and literally, I'm, I'm not lying, I, and it's going to be funny, but I'm not lying. Here's the thought that came into my head. Don't let him follow you home or he will kill your dog. That's the thought I had in my head because we're devil worshippers. They sacrifice animals. And so I thought if he followed me home, he'd kill my dog. And, 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 and so I'm just kind of, you know, staying away and going over and ordering my food. And then I turn. I'm like, Jerry, what do you want? And Jerry, my youth leader, he's sitting in the booth with the kid. And I am like, God, I've got to get some new youth leaders, you know. And so I walked over, and I'm like, Jerry, man, you know, let's go. And, and he said to me, hey, Pastor Doug, have you met my good friend Dan? and I'm not stupid, man. I, you know, I knew what he was trying to do. And so I turned on the youth pastor charm, and I, and I said, uh, I said, Hey, Dan, man, I'm the youth pastor, you know, right down the road. We're only about a mile from here. And I said, I said, man, you should come, man. I mean, you would love what we got going on. I mean, I mean, we want you to come. And I was trying to think of a way to make him come. And, and, and so, so I said, I, I said to him this, I said, this Wednesday night, I'm preaching about sex. Cause I, cause I was, I was doing a series on purity and I'm like, I know everything there is to know, man, you need to come. And, and, and he, and he said, he looked at me and he said a four letter word. And, and this word, it meant all kinds of different things. To him, but he said, "Dude," but he really drew it out, and I was like, "That might be good." And, and so, and so, I walked out, and sure enough, the next Wednesday night, Dan comes walking in, and he's got his good buddy Joe, got on the same clothes that he had on two days earlier. They look like they just came from the cult and showed up at my youth group. And so they walk in, sit down in the middle, and there's maybe 150 or so there that night. And God's really doing something. And I do my sermon, and nothing really happens. And, and well, some other kids respond, but they don't. And 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 I uh, I walk up and I said, "Guys, I'm so glad that you came." I said, "Would you uh, Would you like to come this weekend?" Uh, we're going to youth convention. It was the big youth convention, right? A couple thousand kids were coming and I was bringing like a hundred kids and God was really going to do something. And, and I, I don't even know how I could get them registered or anything. I was just trying, you know, I said, man, I'll pay your way. I want you to come. And, and they said, dude. And so th- anyway, I thought that was good. And, and they came and, and, and they showed up. They sat down on the bus, the front row of the bus, Dan and Joe, they got on their devil worshiper clothes and, and, and their, their front row of the bus. I actually found out that week that they actually did lead a local Danny any call but they were trying to break away from it and you know how like when you go to youth convention youth pastors are always bragging and they're like you know i brought 50 kids or i brought 100 kids or whatever i brought a devil worshiper <laughs> so i was like i won basically and 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 and, and so anyway they show up and, and and they sit down on the front row of the bus and they both light up cigarettes and i'm like dude you can't smoke on the church bus man you're gonna get me in trouble and 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 and, and anyway uh, uh we got to the youth convention and I walked up to him and I said, guys, why don't you go out back and have a cigarette? I don't want you like freaking out, you know, as you walk into service and, and and you might say, well, pastor Doug smoking's wrong. And and I get that, but I mean, you know, you can't ask somebody to change until they have Jesus in their heart. Right. And I wasn't going to lose them over a cigarette. And so they walked out back and they smoked and then they came into service and the preacher did his thing. And they were two of the first ones to run to the front and give their life to Christ. And I walked down there and I, I, I prayed with both of them and, And 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 I remember one of the pastors that was praying with Dan, I I, I sort of I was just kind of watching what was going on. But he was praying with Dan and he led him to Christ, did a good job. But then he started picking on how he looked. And this was a few years ago. But but still, the guy the guy started saying, you know, you've came to Jesus. That's really great. But but, you know, you got to you got to do something about that hair and about those piercings. And he literally started to pick on how he looked. And I I just butted in and I said, Dan, I'm your pastor. He's not your pastor. I'm your pastor. And I said, Jesus doesn't care about how you look. Now, I cared about how he looked, but Jesus didn't. Well, I didn't know what would happen. But the next week, Dan and Joe brought 25 visitors to my youth group. It was like they pulled up in front of the cult and said, he's preaching about sex. Let's go, you know, or whatever. They just all got on the bus, you know, and, and, and came. It was weird, you know, but they just came and they showed up. And, and so that night I preached and about half of them, you know, got saved or whatever. And, 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 then, uh, and then I walked up to Dan and Joe and I said, I said, why did you guys bring all these kids? And they said, well, we're, we're pretty sure we heard you like last week say that we could bring guests. And I was like, I think I did say that, man. That's good. Yeah, yeah, you should do that. And, 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 and I'm telling you, over the next six months, we kept records. Dan and Joe brought over 200 guests to our youth ministry. We probably led 75 to 80 of them to Christ. I know of three of them that are in the ministry today that, that they brought. About 40 of them became a regular part of our youth ministry. The greatest soul winner I ever met was a guy named Dan Abeda who looked like the devil. Now Now, things changed over time. He became a bass player in our band. We did a lot of, you know, like drama and stuff. And what was really cool about Dan because he had that long, flowing black hair, you know, and the beard and stuff. You put a white robe on him, he looked just like Jesus, you know. But if you put a black robe on him, it could go the other way. So he had to, you had to, he had, had to be. He was versatile. Uh, uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I, I'm not even doing that story justice because I don't have time. I'm telling you, I got another seven minutes I could do on that story. It is probably the funnest story. I, I loved it when Jeremy asked me to come. So I don't do a ton of youth speaking anymore. I was like, I'm going to tell the Dan story. Because it's probably the best story I tell. But here's the deal. If it wasn't for a youth leader named Jerry, I would have stayed away from the weird devil worshiper in the back booth. Our youth ministry at that time grew by 40% because of two kids who had the keys to the city but I would have stayed away from the devil worshiper in the back booth. And and here's the thing in one way or another, all of you would have too. because why? Because we all have hidden prejudice in our hearts in one way or another. We've all got our group. We've all got our clique, We've all got what makes us comfortable, but it is only when we start to be like Jesus and practice the power of acceptance that those walls fall down. And if those walls fall down, I got news for you. This room ain't big enough. Amen. And then finally, and I'm done, is you've got to direct your life with a purpose. The Bible tells us that Jesus lays out his life mission. He, Zacchaeus comes to Christ and, and great things start to happen with his life. But I love verse 10. In verse 10, it says this. It says, the son of man came to seek and to save. Those who are lost. if it wasn't for John 316, I think Luke 1910 would be probably the greatest verse of the New Testament. Christ wastes maybe the best verse in the Bible that tells what he's all about seeking and saving lost people on a short tax collector named Zacchaeus. now, now listen, I like to do this at the end of sermons sometimes, especially when I haven't had time to fully develop them so let me let me give you let me give you just two things, okay? One thing to know. Here it is. Put that Put that slide up. One thing to know. Jesus accepted you before you were acceptable. How many of you know that? Amen? Here's what the Bible says. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, you know, you kind of look like a devil worshiper. I don't think I love you. You know, Or you kind of don't have it together. I don't think I love I know about all the private stuff that you do. So I don't think I, how many, how many are so thankful that Christ loved you when you weren't lovable, right? So one thing to know is that. One thing to do, here it is. Give what you've received. Love others the way that you have been loved. I like John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Look at this, look at this. As I have loved you, so love one another. One, one version of the uh, one verse in the Bible says it like this. Forgive others like you have been forgiven. In other words, Christ is always saying this to us. He's always going like, I did something for you. Now go do it for other people. I accepted you when you weren't acceptable. So go out and accept other people. I brought you into my family when you didn't belong. So why don't you invite other people into yours? Man, I, I, I brought you to a youth group that loves you. So why don't you go out and bring somebody else to a youth group that could love them, right? Why don't you go find the mickeys of the world the Dan's of the world? And how do you know you're doing it? Let's get down to brass tacks If you come here on a wednesday night and you talk to all the same people You're just doing it wrong If you go to school and your social group is always the same You're doing it wrong I mean, you know, you got to open up your world And as you start opening up your world, expanding the place of your tent, inviting other people in, you never know. You might meet a guy who looks a little weird, but he's got the keys to the city, right? He knows everybody. And I've begun to find that in my own life, that just never ends. It never ends. I'm always looking for somebody that doesn't look like me, think like me, act like me. And try to get my world a little open because I know this, the love of God can change anyone. Amen.